Hello, and welcome to the Czar and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got my co-host, Darcy, with me as usual. Darcy, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Um, it is storming here really, really bad. Um, we have a tornado warning, so if my... Ooh. If the power goes um, out. <laughs> yeah. So I might just like drop out in the middle of the recording. But yikes. Um, yeah, actually, as I was talking about that, we just got like the phone alert that there's like an emergency flash flood alert. So it's coming down. Yikes. But otherwise, I'm good. Ah, okay. Well, let's um jump right into the episode for tonight. I've got a lot on the agenda. So we got a lot okay. to talk about tonight. Lori Vallow update. She's oh, now boy. being charged, his death, 2019. Has officially been ruled a homicide, and she's now being charged in that too. Not oh, sure wow. if that is um, something that we talked about already, but she's facing charges for that for her fourth husband's death. The autopsy was recently reported. It's an eight-page report that goes into detail about the death, and she's charged with conspiracy to commit murder in connection with this man's death in the hands of her brother Alex Cox. So she's not necessarily being charged with murder, but with conspiracy to commit murder. Because her brother's the one that did it. Oh, this is the one where he, like, where her brother shot him. Yes, her brother shot her fourth husband. Yeah, okay. Um, but his death was listed as homicide caused by being shot by another person. He was shot twice in the abdomen and once in the chest. Or, excuse me, once in the abdomen, once in the chest, two total. Um, and then the brother is also dead now. Yes. He right. told the police he shot um, Lori Vallow's husband, or ex-husband, in self-defense, but... The documents from the police say these claims aren't supported by evidence, and they indicate he planned an intervention to confront her over an affair with her current husband, Chad Daybell. But the gunshot was from front to back in a slightly downward trajectory. The police say the shot was fired while Vallow lay on the ground, likely after being shot in the stomach while standing. Mm. The shot to the chest damaged his heart, and the shot to the stomach damaged his left lung. Mm. He was negative for drugs and alcohol. Cox, the brother, died December 2019 after being found unresponsive at the Arizona home he shared with his new wife, which is interesting. That marriage that he had with her was rushed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Lori and Chad Dable have been charged with multiple crimes in Idaho, including conspiracy to commit murder and first-degree murder in relation to the 7-year-old J.J. Vallow and 16-year-old Tylee Ryan two of Lori's children, and then also Chad's first wife, Tammy Daybell. There are charges related to her death as well. Wow. Interestingly enough, they did not put any charges to Chad Daybell in connection with Charles Charles Vallow's death. They said there wasn't enough evidence on that one to say he was directly involved. No likelihood of reasonable conviction, and then her case in Idaho remains on hold after the district judge committed her to the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare in June, came after a mental health evaluation deemed her not fit to stand trial and unable to assist in her own defense. Chad Daybell though is scheduled for a charge or excuse me, Chad Daybell is scheduled for a change of venue hearing Tuesday or this last week. Um, and we don't have any updates on that as of today, but yeah, lots of stuff going on. I think, I think we all kind of knew that was coming eventually after they kind of got evidence and started looking into like the background on this case. Yeah. And I mean, with ballistics and all of that, like, it's super hard to claim self-defense, which, like, that's not his claim like, because he's – the brother's now dead. But, like, that's hard to make stick when the ballistics determined that the guy was laying on the ground when he was shot. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And from the front to the back. So that's yeah. – Yeah. I – that's a tough one. Um, and I think typically the prosecutors are really only going to go for the ones they know are going to stick mm-hmm. – And they already have enough to get them on a bunch of other things to keep them in prison for the rest of their lives. But they're just adding to it now as things become evidence comes to light. But I guess we'll wait and see because Lori Vallow is sort of being held indefinitely until she's mentally stable enough to be able to aid in her own defense. Right. And that I mean, who knows when that will happen? I, I assume it will happen because their goal is to try her. But. You know, it just absolutely. Yeah, they I don't want to keep her there indefinitely. Yeah, for sure. So I just, but I just don't know how long that'll take. I mean, no, I don't think anybody. Right. Does. Um, another thing that came out in the news just recently is the House approves marijuana banking reform bill. Oh. Um, which is very very interesting because we had the case that we talked about the dispensary owner. Um, in Newport Beach, I believe it was, who was kidnapped yeah. because they were trying to get his million-dollar money that was supposedly buried in the desert. 
but we kind of had a, a brief little conversation in the midst of that about federal laws and banks. But under the current federal laws, banks and other financial institutions aren't permitted to serve cannabis-related businesses. Right. Since, since marijuana is still recognized by the federal government as a Schedule One drug. So this uh, creates challenges in states where recreational cannabis is legal and startups seek to grow their businesses just as entrepreneurs in any industry would. Cannabis companies must rely on cash or cryptocurrency to accept payments and cover expenses, which was part of the reason why that big case kind of blew up. Mm -hmm. Because had he had the ability to do business legally with banks, they never would have thought he had a million dollars in cash sitting around his house. And thus, they never would have kidnapped him and tried to get that cash from him. But there is new legislation that has been approved this last week in the House of Representatives, an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act. The House approved the Bipartisan Safe Banking Act, and it allows state legal cannabis businesses to access the banking system and help improve public safety by reducing the amount of cash at these businesses, which is awesome. That is really good. The bill... The bill was approved to be added to the NDAA by voice vote, reported the marijuanamovement.net. They're tracking more than 100 and, excuse me, 1,200 drug policy bills across the U.S. While the majority of representatives on both sides largely agree with the sentiments of the bill, some argued it didn't belong in legislation related to national defense. However, um, this whole issue, interestingly enough, Representative Warren mm-hmm. from Warren Davison from Ohio tie the relationship to the drug cartels, which would make an issue of national security out of this whole thing. I could see how he got there. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I think the reason it was ruled germane by the parliamentarian is the cartels control the drug trade in the U.S., and while most states have made some legal form for marijuana, the cartels still dominate the market, Mm -hmm. this representative said, during a short discussion about the bill in the House for uh, floor vote. Um, Representative... Ed Perlmutter from Colorado, who introduced the bill, pointed out this will strengthen the security of our financial system in our country by keeping bad actors like foreign cartels out of the cannabis industry. But most importantly, this amendment will reduce the risk of violent crime in our communities as cash businesses, cannabis dispensaries are at high risk for burglaries. Mm -hmm. So legislators who oppose the reform say that could come at the cost of Washington potentially ignoring necessary social justice focused legislation at the federal level. The Safe Banking Act works to protect the interest of cannabis business owners, banks, and investors, but fails to address racially desperate prohibition enforcement, according to the website, which was, again, to that article that we discussed either last week or the week before about the pregnant uh, woman mm-hmm. who was uh, pretty much being prosecuted for the use of marijuana during pregnancy and how that it's unequally, the prosecution of such crimes are unequal are unequally enforced across the U.S., yeah. Um, So interestingly enough, the legislators instead are pushing for nationwide legalization, which would address issues of inequity, legal access to cannabis and industry challenges such as access to banking services. What do you think? Do you think this is enough? Do you think this is something that is going to pass? What are your thoughts? I don't know. So, well, there's a lot of things that that you brought up in there. So, like, let's talk about first, like, whether like the influence of this on cartels. And I can see how I don't think it's going to make any difference on the cartels. Well, no, because nothing's going to make a difference on the cartels. But I can see how they make that argument, right? Because if they remove some of the stigma or the ability to conduct this business illegally and they bring it further into the legal sector, even though it's not federally legal yet, that's still mm-hmm. you can see how that made they made the argument of yes, there's less cash, yes, there's going to be less violence. Um, because not only is drug smuggling an issue, but cash smuggling is also an issue because of... I don't think this is going to make the drug cartel stand up and pay attention. I don't think they're going to do things legally. because marijuana is not their primary... Having cash on premises is definitely an issue, to their point, and I agree with that. If you have to do a cash business, that means you're going to have large amounts of it sitting around at the end of the day, which makes you a target for burglary and all kinds of other crime, including the one with the dispensary owner that we talked about from Newport Beach. Yes. Which is terrifying and scary at the same time. That man didn't have a million dollars sitting around buried in the ground. But for some reason, because that's the sort of business it is and they're not allowed that legitimate banking opportunity, it created that perception that that's was something that would that was a thing. Right. I, I guess I'm just saying, like, no, I don't think it's actually going to make a difference in the business of cartels, but I can see how this representative brought it up and made the connection in order to put it with a national defense bill. Yeah, um, well. 
part two. I think it's an interesting argument, but I don't think that it's like, hey, this really qualifies is it, gonna it as an actual anything? defense issue. Like with the cartels, no, like that's not because marijuana yeah. is not really. I I don't think marijuana is their primary business, right. is it? And it's really naive of him to kind of make it sound like that's a big thing. Yeah, in in my mind, but uh, yeah, I mean, and, or my, maybe my he opinion. just knows what he's doing, and he just knew knew what he needed to say to get it attached to that bill. I don't know, but part two, where you said like said the ones that oppose it think it's going to think it's think it ignores other social justice bills like yeah that's like that's a complete that's like throwing like, the baby out with the bathwater though that's throwing the baby out with the bathwater 100 percent. i think some reform is better than none and if we're just saying well this isn't widely encompass enough areas so we're not going to approve it then we're never going to get anything yes. approved for that industry yes so and that's also a choice. i think the like, stigma yeah, go, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, like, that's also a choice. Like, you can bring up other bills. Like, I understand that there's a limit of how many bills the parliamentarian allows to, to come up for a vote. But right. this isn't, it's not a one for one. Like, it's not a one in, one out. And if it is, we need to talk about some of the other bills that we're spending on other issues that maybe we don't need. You know what I mean? Like, why yeah. is it this one that is going to be the one that causes that issue, I guess, is my, yeah. th- my thing. And I wholeheartedly believe that the marijuana industry needs to be, the stigma around yeah. it needs to stop. Yeah. It needs to end now. It's ridiculous to treat people like criminals for marijuana use. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're selling large quantities of it, yeah. Okay, that's without authorization, without license. Yeah, that's criminal activity. But people who do it occasionally or recreationally or medicinally, the stigma needs to stop. It's ridiculous to criminalize people for that kind of thing. I agree. Um, and you know, I don't do it myself and I don't choose to partake in that particular thing myself, but that I, that is not to say that I think anybody else that does it, there's anything wrong with them. Right. So that's my two cents. Uh, Yeah. And I'm in a hundred, this is one of the times we, where we agree on everything entirely. So I have nothing to argue with you about, (laughs) which is rare for us. (laughs) Usually I can at least play devil's advocate. (laughs) Sweet. Well, let's jump into the main case for the day. Um, I'm going to talk about one that you know about. I know you know this case. Okay. I'm talking about the real story of Dirty John. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. So the deal is I heard about this case, like, I don't know, five years ago, mm-hmm. six years ago, uh, before the Dirty John show came out, before the podcast, before any of that. I watched both the show and listened to the podcast and any other podcast that I could find on mm-hmm. this because I just found it so fascinating. Um, this is the case of John Meehan. Interestingly enough, I think it's a little bit of a cautionary tale <laughs> at its finest about online dating mm-hmm. and the dangers that it involves. Um, and I'll explain that. So this whole thing happened in Newport Beach, California, which seems like there's a lot of cases Seriously. that we're doing and are happening in Newport Beach lately. Um, and I think I have another one that happened in Newport Beach that's coming up too. Um, but in any case, it was sort of centered around Orange County and Newport Beach. Deborah Newell, who was a 50... 50- some 50 something um woman with four kids she was a divorcee she'd actually been married four times and had four divorces which i thought was kind of interesting no judgment there Mm -hmm. um but she clearly was in a situation where she'd met men in the traditional way and was now looking for something just maybe a little different Mm -hmm. right so she's doing online dating and she's on an over 50s dating website now looking at this woman from the outside in she was professional. She was smart. She was accomplished. She was a very, very accomplished business businesswoman. She had an interior design firm, a moving company, and a silk flower company. And she just was like independently on her own, had her own money squared away. Her kids were grown. And she was basically in a type of a situation where she could take it or leave right. it, but she wanted to find a man who was interesting and fun and wanted to travel. And, and you know, once you're past the stage of having kids yeah. and all that is involved with that, you just want to have a little fun for yourself. Because when you have kids, I think everything centers around your right. kids, right? So that's kind of what she was doing. She was on this over 50 dating website and she meets this man and his name is Dr. John Meehan. Now, if you're putting doctor so-and-so on a website, that's the first red flag to me. Well, it depends on what kind of website. Well, on a dating website. Yes. On a dating website. Like LinkedIn. Because it means you're trying to be flashy. Yeah. But he says that he's a professional anesthesiologist, that he's smart, family-oriented, accomplished, et cetera. Um, He looks attractive to her, and 
he reaches out and she responds back to him. Okay. So she's not in a hurry. Mm -hmm. And in the past, she'd kind of allowed her two daughters to sort of take a bigger part in her dating life and listen to their opinions and really paid attention to what they were saying about the men she was dating. But in this case, she's like, I want my own thing. Mm -hmm. I don't want them to be influencing me or making decisions or judgments, etc. Because they're very protective of her, which for good reason, right? This time she didn't consult her daughters and she meets up with this John Meehan guy. And he decides when he starts dating her that he's going to come up and pick her up at her door of her house, which is huge red flag. We all knew you don't ever have somebody from a dating website meet you at your home. Not for the first date. No. Um, And I think she was charmed by it because she was really kind of caught off guard because he was like, this is what a gentleman does. A gentleman will, you know, come Mm -hmm. get you at your door and take care of you, open doors for you. And just very kind of an old fashioned sort of a thing. I think... And that was charming to her. I think there are, and I've certainly experienced that. I think probably most women have, most straight women have experienced a man that comes on so strong that you don't notice that it's a red flag. Like, because it's yeah. so... Well, I think he did that. ...saccharine, <laughs> and it's like... Yeah. It's not, I mean, it's not, obviously, it's not aggressive, but you don't see that it's a red flag when he comes on that strong. Yeah. Well, and I think he kind of had these very... He was charming, mm-hmm. and he had excuses and answers and nice things about every question so she didn't you know he had a ready answer on the tongue for everything Mm. so she wasn't suspicious he didn't stumble he didn't fumble he was smooth and that is enough i think to deceive some people but in any case he claimed that he had just gotten back from iraq where he had been working with doctors without borders he was very charming and handsome and tall and i think women of a certain age and having been through a certain amount, when you find a handsome, tall man without a lot of baggage, who's single and who doesn't have kids, it's a rarity. Sure. Yeah. Right. So she meets this guy and she's like, Holy moly. He's a doctor. He's so charming. Like, this is wonderful. He's very old fashioned. He holds her hand. He opens doors mm-hmm. for her. It's a rarity. So she just kind of ignored any red flags that she was seeing and goes on these dates with him and just is very charmed by him. He takes her to a fancy restaurant for the first date and pays for everything. And she's like, this is the best thing since sliced bread. Mm-hmm. The second date, he shows up at medical scrubs saying he just came from an operation. Okay. Okay. A little bit of a red yeah. flag. Right. But she doesn't mind. He's tall, handsome, fit. He dotes on her and he seems to say all the right things. So she basically fell in love with him very fast. When she told her daughters and introduced them, they disliked him immediately. Yeah. Something was not they right. Up on something. Their instincts were telling them, this guy, there's something mm-hmm. not right about him. And that can be a tough situation yeah. because having grown up with a, a mom who was single and off and on and married off and on throughout my childhood, we didn't like any of the stepdads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was like, we, there were very few men that my mother dated that we liked. Yeah. So I get that. I understand. You can't necessarily let your children choose the man that you're going to date. I think that I, yes, I agree. I think though there's something to be said when you have adult children and they're saying it because the, the, the parent child relationship does change when the children become adults. I mean, at least it has yeah. in my experience. So like mm-hmm. if my, and, and it's just kind of the same, like with I'm, and you know, 17, 18 or whatever, my parents are like, I don't like that guy. What's every, every teenager going to do? They're going to like get closer to him. But like now being the age I am now, if my mom said, like, I don't like that guy, something's up, like, I'm going to stop to think kind of a thing. You know what I mean? So I do think there's kind of a difference in the dynamic. But they had displayed a past history of being very picky about the men she dated. So I think she was, like, not surprised that they didn't like him. You know what I mean? So it wasn't immediately disarming that they were like, hey, we do not like this guy. But they had a a seemingly visceral reaction to this man right from the beginning something isn't right. We don't like this guy. So Deborah rents this house in Newport beach in a prominent place called Balboa Island. Mm-hmm. And again, like I think 12 cases that I've done on this show happened on Balboa, Balboa Island. And it's not big. <laughs> no, I mean, but it's a very posh, oh, yeah. very wealthy area. And everything seemed like it was going really well for these two. John took really good care of Deborah. He ran errands for her. He cleaned for her. He cooked for her. He rubbed her back, took her, on walks and held her hand and did all the things he was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I think 
as a woman dating in today's society, like it's tough. It's tough to find men that do the right things, say the right things and really like act like a gentleman and are respectful. It's tough. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think it's probably just as tough for men to find that as well, but things, um, it's, it's hard out there in the dating scene. So like, I feel her when you find one, you try to grab them. Right. But around Thanksgiving, Deborah's daughters noticed John moving in with their mother and confronted her. And this was literally just a couple of months after they met and started dating. Yeah. He moves in with her. That's a little fast. Yeah. In my opinion. Um, they confront her and they tell her basically, John is shady and we're suspicious of this guy, but she tells him, mind your own business. <laughs> this is my guy. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this. Go away. I'm good. And that they are not welcome for Thanksgiving dinner. Oh man. That's like a big shift. She pulls the tough love card. Yeah. Right? And the two, basically John and Deborah saw this therapist. She's kind of seeing a therapist through the whole thing, which is good, mm-hmm. right? You know, she's learning healthy boundaries with her daughter. She's learning, you know, how to date healthy. I don't, there's no, I'm not going to judge anyone for seeing a therapist or incorporating therapy into their life. Mm-hmm. It's not for me, but I think, you know, if people find use out of it and it teaches them how to have healthy relationships, I'm all for it. Right? Oh yeah. I've definitely so benefited she, Her and John therapy. are seeing a therapist. Very, like, yeah. in recent months. But the therapist is telling her, you know, you can't listen to them, have your own life. You have the right to happiness without your daughter's interference. Mm -hmm. Keep things separate. So your life with your daughter should be separate from your dating life with this new man. Mm -hmm. And Deborah is pretty much at that point indicating that she's choosing her man. Yeah. And the two go to Vegas and get married in secret. Literally like two months after they began dating. I mean... I got no issue with going to Vegas and get married. I have no issue with getting married after two months. I have an issue with doing it in secret. Yeah. Yeah. That's just something isn't yeah. right. If you can't do it with your family's approval and you can't do it in the open, then there's something yeah. wrong. But again, okay. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, And in this case, she was headstrong in love with this man and he was a doctor and he was treating her right and doing and saying all the right things. So she just went for it. She pulled the trigger and went for it, which there are plenty of stories in dating history and in life and in society where people met and married on the, you know, on the second date or met and instantly fell in love and love at first sight. Like I get that, that happens, but I think there were some red flags (laughs) and Deborah's daughters see these red flags and decide they're going to investigate on their own. So they put trackers on the cars and it's, her mother's cars because John doesn't have his own car. Yeah. You're going to need to explain that to me before I marry you. And I'm going to explain why he doesn't have his own car, but red flag, big, red, big, big, big red flag. And this is December, 2014. And Deborah goes for a business meeting and John had tagged along and she's just in love big time by that point. And loves everything about her new lover and is blinded to anything wrong with him. And she's like, let's just keep this secret and let's get married. And I know my family's going to freak out, so I'm just going to keep it on my own. And the therapist that they were seeing kind of advocated keeping everything separate anyway. And this sounds kind of like the worst advice ever to me, but she did that. At Christmas, John was in an agreement that he would maintain a distance while parts of Deborah's family connected over the holiday. In particular, one of Deborah's daughters kind of had a tradition with all the kids and she would spend time alone with them and really have her thing. But John refused to comply with this request when it came down to it. Hmm. And he gets a bunch of presents and just kind of inserts himself into the family dynamic. See, that's that th- Whether they like it or not. Too strong and, and people, by this time, people may have thought like it was, this is kind of weird, but it's another Just a scotch. And I definitely remember times where my mom had men in her life. And when they did that, it just turned us off all the more. We were repulsed even more. Um, And I remember one in particular that always felt like he needed to come have conversation or jump in the middle of whatever conversation we were in. And so this guy was just terrifically boring. And every time he started inserting himself, it would just kill whatever conversation (laughs) we were having. So we had this system called the (laughs) deflector system. So whoever was the lowest ranking family member, and it was usually the person who was newest in the family dating so mm-hmm. you know, dating one of the, the main siblings, his job would be to draw this person aside and converse with him so that he wouldn't try to jump into everyone else's conversation. Oh, man. So he was the deflector. 
That's pretty <laughs> so rough. I have like had, a secret fear to go. that I'm that person that like jumps into a conversation and completely kills the mood. Like just like a no, like immediately nope. kills it. Nope. Let me assure you, <laughs> that's not you. <laughs> so it's usually people who are very dry and very boring and you have nothing interesting to say. And as soon as they try to insert themselves in the conversation, they bring up something that's completely irrelevant to the conversation and everybody just stops <laughs> And it's like screeching and you hear crickets in the I'm background. You, That's that person. I, the, That's not I you. Fear, I fear that that is That's me. not you. <laughs> <laughs> Darcy, that's not you. Like all of these things you're, you're describing, I'm like, check, 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 check. No. I have never heard you do that. You might bring up something inappropriate or you might bring up something that's very strongly opinionated, but that doesn't bring crickets. It just brings people to argument, which is exciting okay. and fun. So anyway, he does this and he's the one that's like inserting himself into the family dynamic and everyone's like, ugh, we hate this guy. He's taking advantage of you. You're too trusting. Yeah. Something's shady. We don't like this guy. Get up, get rid of him. He's driving your car because he claims his identity had been stolen while he was in Iraq and that someone had robbed him, broke into his house, stole his clothes, his belongings and his car and all that kind of stuff. And that he has this insurance claim and that he's waiting for the insurance company to investigate and pay out so they can get all of his stuff back. Hmm. So while he's blindly serving his country and doctors without borders and being so generous, he was robbed blind and he has nothing, no clothes, no car, no nothing, which really, I mean, I really, I might be a dick, but like before I marry you, I'm going to need to see some paperwork about, both of those things. Yeah, for real, right? So he's claiming, oh, yeah, I filed a claim, and it's coming. I'm waiting for the payment. It's coming. It's coming. And she's married him in two months, yeah. so, like, he, he can say all he wants, and she believes him. But no one believed him but Deborah. Yeah. Okay? So the girls track this car that John was driving. They'd install the GPS, which is pretty simple to do. <laughs> and... They start following him around to see where he's going all day. And he claims to be working, but he's actually going to a bunch of different doctor's offices. And it seems super weird because he's only going there for very short visits. Hmm. Not enough time to do an operation or like be an anesthesiologist like he claims yeah. he is. So they're thinking maybe he's into drugs or something and he's getting prescriptions oh. at multiple doctors so that he can kind of fulfill his drug habit. And they bring this evidence to their mom who tells them they're being overprotective and stop interfering. She's like, no, I don't want to hear this. Yeah. Stop trying to interfere with my life. I don't think they knew that she was married either mm. <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Um, and then they also want to know why he wears scrubs everywhere and why he has dirt underneath his fingernails. If he's supposed to be this super successful doctor and, Maybe people can, like, write in, or maybe you know, but, like, I don't, I don't know many physicians that go to work in scrubs. Like, they go to work in, like, no. business attire and change no. into their scrubs if they're operating. In my history of dating, I have dated three doctors, and not a single one of them ever hung out in yeah. scrubs. Ever. They would change into them at the hospital if they needed yeah. to. I dated a plastic surgeon an emergency room doctor and actually an anesthesiologist nurse. And I did see the nurse in scrubs occasionally, but not, it was very rare. And it was some, like, he'd get home from a, like a double shift yeah. and have his scrubs on. And like nurses and that was go not a big to deal. work in scrubs because that's like their work attire. That's what they come and go in. But like doctors for like office visits were like professional no. clothing. Definitely no scrubs. Yeah. And the dirt underneath the nails, I've never, ever, ever met a doctor that had dirt under his nails, ever. He just seems gross and dirty yeah. and shady to them. And I get it. Like, yeah, that's not a doctor. And I think you can kind of tell the difference between someone who's been educated in 10 plus years of undergrad and graduate school and residency yeah. and all that kind of stuff versus someone who hasn't. Yeah. There is a distinct difference. I'm not saying it's better or worse, but you can tell the difference the major the vast majority of the time. Yeah. Okay. So you may disagree with that. I don't know. I mean, but this guy clearly was very slick and very manipulative because Deborah Newell was not an unintelligent right. woman. And he fooled yeah. her. 
But the daughters are determined to dig deeper and find out what is going on. Why does this guy not, why does my mom not see it? And why does this guy think he can get away with this? There's something wrong with him and we're going to find out what it is. So they start, um, because they sense John was evil, <laughs> they actually hire a private investigator, mm-hmm. which, I mean, that's going to some pretty drastic lengths at that point when you have to hire a private investigator for your mom's boyfriend slash secret husband, yeah. right? Never had to do that. Thank you. Never hope I hope I never have right. to, but that's what they did. Yeah. And Deborah, you know, blissfully unaware of all this, seems to be completely oblivious to the strange happenings that are more and more frequently happening within her house. Like, she picks up mail for him one time and finds letters from an inmate at an Orange County jail. Uh, And he's like, I'm so happy you turned your life around. I'm so happy things are going well for you, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, this seems a little weird. It does seem a little weird. And she kind of presents this to John and is like, hey, what's the deal with this? And he blows up. Of course. And he's like... This is my private mail. You've invaded my privacy. This is fraud. How dare you? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and she says, well, why are you writing this inmate? And he says, you know, slick as can be, I write to inmates. I send care packages. It's the charity in me. I feel bad for these guys. Blah, blah, blah. She eats it all up and doesn't ask again. Hmm. In the meantime, the private investigator finds John isn't a doctor or an anesthesiologist. John had worked as a nurse anesthetist in the past, but wasn't licensed as one now and had not worked in the field for years. He'd never been in Iraq. He'd been in jail before he met Deborah at the Orange County Jail, to be specific. Google is a thing. Yeah, exactly. Criminal background check is a thing. I would Google anyone. 100%. And the thing is, you can find anything online now, but she didn't do any of these things. Yeah. March 2015, her daughters were snooping around the house. They waited until Deborah and her husband left, and they find a bunch of legal documents. Want to guess what they are? Marriage documentation? Life nope. insurance? Ple- police reports. Oh, boy. Stalking, harassing, restraining orders. And all kinds of other scary stuff. Oh, boy. So John has this huge criminal history. He has a bunch of arrests. He has lots of time in jail, drugs, stalking, etc. Theft, all kinds of different fun things. And still, Deborah refuses to believe her daughters. <laughs> I mean... She... They confront her, and she basically asks him, Hey, what's going on with all this? And he says it's a mistaken identity case. It isn't me. It's some other John Meehan. Then why does he have the paperwork? Exactly. I'm like, really? You believe that kind of BS? How many other John Meehans could there possibly be, first of all? And second of all, really? Yeah. Every single one of these dozens of cases are mistaken at identity or someone's trying to frame him. That's what he said. So Deborah brushes all of it aside. And she's like, okay, I believe you, honey. And he says, if I had told you the truth in the beginning, you would never date me. Here's the thing. And I'm like, duh. (laughs) Like, here's the thing. Okay, so if everything he has said is true, if these are all mistaken identities, if he has been robbed, if his identity has been stolen, if somebody's out to get him, that's a lot of baggage that needs to be worked out before you marry somebody. He's either the most unlucky person in the world or, like, he's just genuinely the well, biggest yeah, douchebag like, ever. Even so, like, best case scenario, let's say all this is true. That's a lot of stuff that needs to be worked out before you marry somebody. Like. Right. And you need to be honest and yeah. forthright about that crap before you get into a relationship. Let them make the decision whether they want to deal with it or not. The thing is, I could handle one of those things on their own and maybe find a reason to believe in you and to set it aside. But when you've got like a hundred things, you have no car, you have no job, you're not a real doctor, you have all these criminal cases... Like, you can see your way it's past too much. a lot of it. It's too. It's like yeah, three like, strikes you're out. About lying about being a doctor, we're not coming back from that. Like, you can't lie about like degrees and yeah, licenses. but I don't and, think like, she believed that. Like that's. What? I don't think she believed that. She was just like, okay, she didn't believe that that he wasn't. Oh gosh. 
So he appears sad and sorry, and Deborah forgives him and gives him another chance. She's like, you know, I found this amazing man. It's so hard to find good people in this world, and I'm going to give him a second chance because what if this is my one true love and my true soulmate, and I give it up because he's oh, got a couple God, little I problems. I know. It's just really sad. But anyway, March 2015, the daughters find out that the mother is married to a creep, and she's out of the contact with them. She's like, I'm done. You guys have done too much. Mm. I don't want to talk to you anymore. But they actually find the number of her detective in that paperwork that they found mm -hmm. in her house when they were snooping when they shouldn't have been. And they call. And the detective does not mince words. He tells the girls straight up front that John Meehan is very, very dangerous. He basically is a hardcore criminal and they need to get away from them. And if their mom is involved with him, she needs to call the detective immediately. Like, what do you do? As it turns out, I don't know. I mean, it seems yeah. horrifying. No. Can you imagine? As it turns out, there's another woman who'd experienced the same terror in the hands of John Meehan. Tanya Bales met John in the late 80s. He was fun, outgoing, and charming, just like uh -huh. he had been with Deborah later on. She was a nurse in Dayton, Ohio. She met John, and he was a law school was student he really at the time that they student? met. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. He really was. Kind of oh, like Ted Bundy. Interesting. Hmm, what? After they started dating, John claimed to have had a, an epiphany, and this caused him to drop out of law school and become a nurse anesthetist, just like Tanya. Hmm. Which, freaking weird. Mm -hmm. Like, first of all, can you have your own life, please? Don't copy me, and don't copy things that I'm doing. Please. And please don't have epiphanies <laughs> when I'm trying to work and be a nurse, okay? Sorry. Personal thoughts on that. But anyway, in reality, John had been kicked out of law school. But he didn't really feel like it was important to tell Tanya that. Mm. And she's like, okay, let's get married. <laughs> so the two get married in oh. 1990. And Tanya I helps. I heard if that's Google didn't exist then. No, no. But she helps him through nursing school, and they had two daughters together. Oh, boy. So they're building this happy little home until Tanya finds out John is having an affair with another woman, and he gets her pregnant. And she starts noticing little things adding up, just kind of like our friend Deborah. And he had lied about his true age. He kind of lopped off like five or six years from his age. Mm. And she finds his ID and is like, what the? He lied about his birthday. He did not invite his family to their wedding. Big red flag. Mm. And she calls his mom and is given this really weird reception. His mom is like, oh, I've been waiting for you to call. And she tells her about everything, about lying, cheating, and stealing that John has been doing for many years now. And actually, he had been convicted of cocaine trafficking in the past. And she's like, is he still Whoa. doing drugs? And Tanya's like, what the f Can you yeah. imagine? You've been married for this guy for years. You have kids together. Like, you helped him through nursing school. And all of a sudden, you find out he's this hardcore criminal. He's like, dirty. He's a criminal. Cases, and we're like, how does the spouse not know what's going on? Like, no, this I is one know. of those things. But, like, I 100% believe she didn't because this is just who this guy is. But, like, Jesus. He's super good at hiding things, evidently. Yeah. And Tanya conducts her own investigation at that point and finds out that he is hiding his criminal happenings from her. And she also finds a box full of heavy prescription drugs hidden in their house. And she starts monitoring the box and notices drugs coming and going and is like, ah, hubby dearest is selling drugs and using oh, no. drugs or a combination of the two, right? And Tanya reports her husband because she has a duty to do that. Because he yeah. is clearly using his nursing profession to steal drugs. Right. When she reports him, as she is legally obligated to do, he flips out. No. And he threatens her life. And she starts recording him. And I'm going to play you the recording. It's wild. Listen, sweet Tanya. I'm listening. I got a big smile on my face. And you know why? Because it's going to get done. What's going to get done? You're not making any sense. Well, it don't happen. You will understand when the time comes. 
Mm. And that's all I got to say. When it happens, Tanya, and you see it in your eye, you remember it was me, okay? Remember what, John? Keep that in mind. It was me. Tanya, you enjoy your time left on this earth, okay? Because that's what it's going to come down to. Yeah. Number one, he sounds like he's a wannabe gangster. Uh-huh. And number two, like, who talks like that? It's like, it sounds like that other recording that we did of the case yes. with Michelle where it's like, really? Did you write a script out and then read it back as you were yes. going? Like, it just bah, blows the mind. And, and number, like, the other thing is it just shows you how kind of slick and smooth he was. Like, just the way he talks and the way mm-hmm. he maneuvers in the world. But in any case, he got arrested in June 2001 and was convicted of menacing but instead of this jail sentence and getting him out of her life like she had hoped, he just got probation. That's it. Ugh. And he later is found with a gun. This is illegal because of his probation. And he's sent back yeah. to jail, which thank God for that. Poor Tanya was probably living in a hell during all of that. But while in jail, John still manages to get drugs. He pretty much... Is one of those characters that can get anything he wants. He pretends to like fall out of a bunk and goes to the nurses and they give him painkillers and yeah. he just knows how to manipulate the system. Well, and I've also heard it's not difficult to get drugs like smuggled into. No, that too. Uh, yeah. But he's getting them legitimately from the doctors oh. and nurses. So oh. just, yeah, he's just that manipulative. And he got more jail time for stealing drugs in both Michigan and Ohio. Hmm. All the while, Tanya realized her husband's friends had described him as a filthy, dirty con man. And he had conned a lot of women out of money, and he gave his drug-addicted brother the stash that caused him to overdose, and he'd been alone with his father when he died somewhat mysteriously. So there's Um, some shady stuff going on for Mr. John Meehan back in, you know, the way back days. Yeah. Yeah. No charges in these other cases, though, had been filed. And it just shows that he is his specialty is scamming women online. He is this lonely hearts kind of... Was that thunder? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that was loud. <laughs> his speciality is the lonely hearts club con. He likes mm. stealing money and threatening and terrorizing women when he gets caught. So I think he's basically scanning these women's profiles on these, you know, over 50 websites and picking out the ones he thinks have money, charming the pants off of them, stealing their money, and then moving on to the next one. And he has just enough education and intelligence to pretend like he's all these things. Yes, ma'am. Deborah's daughters are understandably terrified when they hear all this. And basically Deborah has kind of split her time between the OC and Las Vegas. She bought a house that she could spend time with, with John so that her family wouldn't have to be around this guy or that he would have, you know, time away from her family. And suddenly she's like, when she finds out all this, her daughters are like, we need to rescue our mom. And the latest police report that they saw in this whole thing with the records for John was for a few years prior to when he started dating Deborah. So, like, mm-hmm. this is all recent stuff. Yeah. And he had rented office space, and police found zip ties, cyanide, <gasps> and guns in the office space from Why? this case, this most recent case. And, of course, you know, by then, Deborah is figuring all this stuff out, and she's confronting him, and he's basically, well, I have MS, and I have the cyanide, so if things get real bad, I can kill myself. And he just has these ready excuses on the lips for every single thing Why that she asks about. zip ties? No one has zip ties, unless they're planning on committing a crime. Or actually, moving. I actually, had a lot when I was moving. We have zip ties. I'm not really sure why we have zip ties, but we have zip ties. But anyway, most <laughs> like normal a lot of people, people have zip ties, but <laughs> no. like not with a gun and cyanide. That's no. that's the thing. So Deborah actually believed her daughters finally. And April 2016, 16 months into this relationship, Deborah goes back to OC and files for an annulment. She's finally like, oh crap, I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. This guy's really shady. My bad. And John responds immediately by sending these really weird emails. And he sends naked pictures and weird emails to her customers, clients, friends, and family. Wow. So he's like, I'm going to have my revenge on you. How dare you leave me like this? 
And he files for divorce himself and asks for half of everything, including her business that she like her businesses that she'd established for many, many years before she even met him, which does he even understand how the legal system works? You're married for 16, basically not a, a little more than a year. And you think you're going to get half of everything? No. No. Well, see, that's what happens when you don't graduate law school. Mm. In any case, he's, like, being a complete jerk. He stole and burned her car. He threatened her, stalked her, and she went into hiding to escape from this terrorism. And she did that for about six months. And during this horrifying time, she's scared for her family. She's scared for her own life. She's scared for her daughters. She thinks he's going to do something crazy. Yeah. And... He does. Summer 2016, Deborah moves in with one of her daughters and tries to lay low. But August 19th, 2016, one of her daughters actually sees John waiting in a car near her apartment. And he's supposed to be in Vegas during this time. And she's freaking out because she's like, he's here. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but he's here. And he's scheming and he's planning his diabolical revenge during all of this. And August 20th, 2016, it's around 5 p.m., a teenage girl returns home from re- returns home to her Newport Beach apartment to the sound of screaming. She calls 911 and they find John in the parking lot with a knife. He had tried what? to stab Tara, one of Deborah's daughters. And Tara had just gotten back from some kind of an event. She had her dog with her when he like ambushed her. He was waiting uh-huh. for her. And the dog is attacking him and he's trying to stab Tara and Tara's fighting with everything and she's screaming and she's doing everything right. Like she's making the biggest possible noise. She, her dog is grabbing him and trying to attack him too. Like bless that little doggy's heart. And Tara thinking fast looks over and sees the trunk is open. And this guy's six two and she's like a foot shorter than him. Mm -hmm. And he's much stronger than her. And, but she's like, I'm going to fight for my life. And he's punching her and hitting her and slicing her. And she's screaming and attack. And then she falls and starts to pedal kick him, which mm-hmm. good for you, girl. Yeah. And he's trying to stab her while she's kicking him with everything she has in her. And the knife gets kicked from his hand. And she grabs it and blindly starts stabbing him back. And she stabs him in the head, oh. the face, the top of his head, and right in his eyeball. Oh my she God. is not messing around. She goes with a zombie kill. Jesus Christ. Evidently, she's like this Walking Dead fan, and she had heard that that was the only way to kill a zombie and just didn't even think, just did it. Wow. And police get there, and they analyze the situation very quickly and determine that this is self-defense. Mm-hmm. No charges are filed, but John died four days later. He four never re- days? Never regained consciousness. So she stabbed him in the top of the head and in the eyeball. He lost consciousness and never regained it. That's incredible that he didn't die immediately. Yeah. How did he survive for four days? It's, it's beyond me. But yeah. in, they searched John's car and inside is a backpack, knives, duct tape, passport, etc. Like he clearly intended to kill. Yeah. And there were no questions asked. The case was pretty much closed. And everyone that knew him was pretty much heaving this huge sigh of relief that the reign of terror was over. This is a major lesson. Internet dating 101. background checks background checks background checks yes although they could always lie about their names we have our friend that Catherine that met her husband online yeah i met mine online too yeah like so many people meet people online and that's the way the new way to date these days but like but i also googled him (laughs) google is your friend yeah totally so tara has ptsd now obviously. Yeah. Um, but she helps other victims, encourages self-defense and promotes PTSD awareness. She speaks to college students and she started a podcast after her own horrific experience. So like she learned from it and she's trying to help other people, which is pretty awesome. Although she's a good kid and she is doing good things for other victims out there. And thank God that she had the presence of mind to fight him off and like she just did it she pedal kicked him and was just like i can't even imagine yeah what it would take to do something and this is a big guy she's like five feet tall he's like six two that's incredible strong and you know athletic and fit and he's just he's determined to kill her and she fought him off and kicked the knife out of his hand just incredible wow what a situation what a case like 
it's horrifying because you never really know. Because even if you do Google and do background checks and all that kind of stuff, they could still lie about their name. Oh, sure. Yeah, they can still, there's still stuff that gets through the cracks, but like some of the stuff would have shown, like his criminal record would have shown up. And like, yeah, he had a ready-made excuse, but like, again, like I say, we're going to need to flush out some of this baggage before we actually go and get married. And like, that's not, yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, she didn't know any of it until after she married him. And then when she found out, it was right. too late. So. Right. And, you know, I watched, I mean, I the amount of research that went into doing this show, like I've literally seen every movie about this. I've watched yeah. all the podcasts. I watched the, the, what was the, now they call it just the Dirty John thing, right? Where they did the Betty Broderick story. Yeah, and then they also, and then Dr. Death is a spinoff of that one. I only listened to, I think, like the Dateline podcast about it. Like, I didn't do Dirty John. Um, I think I maybe listened to a couple episodes, and I definitely didn't do the TV you show. You didn't but... watch the show? Oh, my God, it was so good. De- yeah. uh, it's John uh, Eric Bana and... Connie Britton, right? Yeah, oh, my God, it was so good. Yeah. It was horrifying, yeah. and I think that the two played the roles just so perfectly. It was yeah. awesome. It was almost as good as the Betty Broderick one, but I think the Betty Broderick one was my fave. I didn't watch that one, but I did listen to Dr. Death, like, within a whole, like, five-hour road trip to the beach and back. Like, I was just like, I Highly, highly recommend. I binge-watched all of them. It's it's good stuff. Okay. But anyway. I think we talked about the Betty Broderick one, and I think I said I was going to watch it, but I didn't. Oops. Oops Bye. <laughs> anyway, unless you have anything else to add, we're gonna go ahead and wrap the episode up for the day. No, I don't. Google. That's all, that's what I have to add. Awesome. Dating one hundred and one. Always mm-hmm. do a background check. Okay. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, shoot us an email. We like to talk to you guys. We like to hear comments. We'll give you a shout out if there's something interesting about it, or if you want a shout out, we'll give you a shout out. And social media. Yeah, we're at the BFD Podcast on Instagram. Um, so we will post pictures of probably both this case and the show, since there's so much of this yeah. um, about. But we'll also post show notes there, and you can go like us and, and follow us there, too. Actually, we don't post show notes on Instagram. We post them. They're on our oh, and loading the platform. And, we just post um, pictures then. Yeah, yeah. We post them on our main platform. Yeah. And I think that they go on to the Apple podcast as well but don't don't quote me on that okay. um please rate review and subscribe too guys it's really really important it helps uh lift us up in the ratings and give us uh more priority when it comes to people that are searching for certain types of podcasts uh podcast is for certain types of podcasts or certain topics um and please join us again next week when we talk more about weird wacky and wild cases good night podcast peeps stay safe keep it real and always live your very best life and also do internet searches on your potential dates (laughs) and just do internet searches on everybody anybody you know in your life just hit them with a google search seems a little shady google search yeah (laughs) okay bye bye guys